0: So a number of years ago, we've had a special guest speaker here uh, named Paul Anderson Walsh from England. How many of you remember Paul Anderson Walsh? Okay. And you don't have to remember that it was the longest sermons ever taught here. Um, (laughs) It was super long, but the content was fantastic. And one of his friends that I got to know is David Youngren. David lives in San Diego. He used to be a pastor in Ontario. Um, He's now currently, I believe, a life coach. Hopefully he can tell you some more stuff about that. He's also an author and a teacher. He speaks around the world. He has some resources here today that he's going to refer you to. Uh, So you're welcome. If you like what he shared, take a look at the. stuff, it's, it's good stuff. Um, so I'm going to introduce David Youngman to you, and I've had a chance to meet him on Skype, and then on Friday night when he came to here to speak at Val's event, it uh, was the first time I heard him teach, and it's like, okay, I like this. So David, will you come and uh, introduce yourself further, clarify, and all that fun stuff, and share from your heart today? Sound good?
1: Yeah, it sounds
0: great. Awesome. Thank you. Give him a hand.
1: Thank you, brother. How's everybody doing today? You must be the best looking people in all of, where am I again, Waterloo? <laughs> You're looking so great, this is Sunday morning and you all got your Jesus smile on. How many got your Jesus smile on? <laughs> You're full of God's grace, right? Such a delight to be with you here and to be with Mike, as, I, as he already mentioned. Um, it's our first time we actually were able to meet in person on Friday and uh, really delighted. But I had the opportunity to meet him on Skype. It's amazing what you can do nowadays, isn't it? You can talk to people in different parts of the world. I, we've been living in California for the last 13 years before that. We lived in, um, here in Canada. I met my wife here, who's with me also today. And my daughter was born in Niagara Falls. She's also here with me. Uh, so we cannot kind of Canadian except that I was born and raised in Sweden and I was telling the people the other day you know the best hockey country in the world Sweden <laughs> it's a great introduction isn't it is it? a great way to for you to all love me and like me I'm just so glad I'm securing God's love Amen. <laughs> but uh, uh, so it, it's a delight for me to be here with you and to meet with as I said with your pastor and Val was good enough to make this connection, and uh, we're looking forward to this today. I have a title for this message. I have a title, then I have a subtitle, and the subtitle is really, really long. It's basically the entire message, but uh, (laughs) uh, let me give it to you so that you know what we're talking about. The message today is called Love Has No Limits. Thank you for your enthusiasm. (laughs) And the subtitle, here's a long one, How Meditating on the Love of Christ Will Cause You to Bounce Back Instantly and Higher When Life Knocks You Down. How many have ever been knocked down by life? Anybody? Yes. Two of you, three, four, five. <laughs> You're just all saintly living in the glory. I'm, I'm <laughs> thankful for that. But for the rest of us, we may have been knocked out a few times in our life. And so let me just start with a, telling a story. And I share this on Friday. So if you are here on Friday, you get to hear some things that you have heard before. Um, but uh, in 2005, we moved from, uh, from this country to California and uh, entered hell, so to speak. I lived in San Diego, which was supposed to be this beautiful place, but inside it was uh, hell for me. and uh, I was dealing with self-righteousness on one hand, and on the other hand, I was dealing with guilt and shame and all these negative emotions. And, uh, you know, was just learning about grace and all that, but it didn't still, like, I could preach it, and I was teaching it around the world. I had preached to great crowds and great conferences, and, you know, sometimes as many as 50,000, 60,000 people, even 100,000 people. But inside, I was dealing with a lot of issues, and suddenly I started having these cluster headaches and cluster headaches, as I was telling people on Friday, is the worst pain a human can suffer. And I, I, I get a lot of protest by women because they say you are never given birth to a child, so what do you know about the worst pain a human can suffer? So I just want you to know that I got good, good, good proof that is the worst pain. I Google it on the internet, and whatever <laughs> Google says, I believe. Uh, but anyhow, it was an excruciating pain. I felt like someone would stick a knife and twist a knife around, and I prayed, and the more I prayed, I got worse. How many ever prayed and gotten worse. How many think that's a little discouraging uh, and uh and I did everything I knew how to and and in the beginning, it would happen every second day and then it would come back every day and then it would come back several times a day, and it would last anywhere from forty five minutes to three hours at the time. And, and I didn't know what to do, and so one day, and this is in 2006, I thought, you know what, I don't even want to live like this. If This is my life. I don't want to live. But in 2006, um, one day, I felt like this inner voice in the midst of the greatest despair, when, you have, when there's nothing else. You're weak. You, you know, when I'm weak, I'm strong. And so I just came to this point of inner turmoil, and I thought, I don't know anymore. I don't have the answer. And I heard like a voice within that said meditate and meditate on the love of christ you have to understand the word meditation was the most frightful word for someone like me who was raised in church i thought well meditation is not something you ever want to touch because it's associated with eastern religion how many how many heard that <laughs> and so i thought i cannot do that uh, but when you're in desperate pain how many know that you just try anything right and so I heard this voice. Just meditate and meditate on the love of Christ. I sat down, closed my eyes, and try to look as a spiritual guru from India somewhere, and just closed my eyes. And just as I was closing my eyes, and this came to a place of rest and peace. Um, flash before me was the movie The Passion of the Christ. I'm sure many of you remember that movie. And and I saw like I saw Jesus, and I saw how Jesus was beaten how they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they whipped his back, and he was beaten. And, and then the words came back to me, with the stripes were healed. And as I looked, as I'm watching through my imagination, this, uh, this footage from the movie, and as I'm seeing it, as I'm sitting in this, in this meditative state, and I'm seeing this picture of Jesus, I, I felt like Jesus was looking at me. I was right there. I was not somewhere else, and it was happening right now. I looked in the eyes of Jesus, and I was filled with such an overwhelming sense of love. It was like I'd look into the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus knew everything about you. How many know that there are a lot of things we don't want other people to know about us? Stuff that we don't want to seeing posted on Facebook, all that good stuff. And here I I just felt like Jesus was looking at me and I was overwhelmed with such an overwhelming, the profundity of God's love. And instantly I was healed. And this began a journey in my life where I began to understand the role of meditation and meditating on the love of Christ and how it will impact a life. And I have since that time Discovered as we've taken this message around the world and literally helped thousands and thousands of people and people have been contacting us from around the world, I have discovered the love of Christ will reduce stress. It will make people live longer lives. It has such a profound impact. In fact, science has concluded that when you meditate on loving kindness, it will actually shrink the amygdala part of your brain, which is, controls fear and, uh, fear and, and, and aggression. So, actually shrinks that part of your brain which has a profound effect on your health and every part of your life so I want to give you some scripture some b-i-b-l-e today to share this message with you because I know what a tremendous impact it will have on your life how many remember Paul how many ever heard of Paul not Paul Anderson Wallace but Paul in the Bible and he writes something that is very, very interesting in Ephesians, chapter 3. He's actually praying for Christians. And uh, three, he's not praying for people who are never gone to church, he's, you know, even though I'm sure those are included as well, but he's praying for the people who are part of the firstborn church of the Ephesus uh, Cathedral, or whatever it was called, I don't know. But he's praying for these Christians, the the grace fellowship, the grace walk of of uh, Ephesus. He's praying for them. Or Hope Fellowship of Ephesus. Whatever you want to call it. He's praying for the church. And he's has such a profound pra- prayer that he's talking about, you know, that, that, that there's a spirit of might that you, that the spirit of might have come upon you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm almost offended because I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've already had Christ in my heart. Why are you praying that Christ may be in my heart by faith? See, he's praying that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That is, being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, first of all, that's an oxymoron, right? Because how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Because... But what, if, if you read this in the original text, we, we know that the word knowledge is referring to intellectual knowledge. I have found that most people, even in church today, they have a, an intellectual concept of God. They have maybe agreed to a statement of faith. They have signed up on the dotted line and says, I agree with this, but it doesn't mean that it has brought transformation. To know is to be awakened, to be aware, to be conscious of something, so that you're continually conscious of this new kind of life that is so extraordinary. And it says that when you become aware of this, the the depth, all the dimensions of the love of Christ, what would happen? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I have a couple of questions for you. If you're filled with all the fullness of God, what is missing? That's a deep question. What is missing if you're filled with all the fullness of God? There's nothing missing, right? So I would suggest to you that if we will come to this point when we are rooted in ground and love, when we know all the dimensions of the love of Christ, if we know that, there is nothing else we need to know. Not intellectually, but if we can become aware of it at a deeper level, inside of us if we can become aware of this incredible love then we would receive all the fullness of God and that's the key to everything in life it's key to health it's key to relationships I mean this is proven by the way science is proven it's key to health if you are in 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 an environment of unconditional love it heals it boosts your immune system it is key to stress right how many want to have less stress in your life Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> uh, especially if it's your husband. Uh, how, many, how many want to live a better life? How many want to live in health? How many want to free, live in freedom? It's also a way to more peace in this world. How many know that we need more peace in this world? So love is the key to everything in life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I love it. <laughs> But here is the point that when Paul is trying to describe this love, this limitless love, he starts with these profound words. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he explains what that is by saying that is being rooted and grounded in love, that you may comprehend with all the saints the width and all the dimensions of the love of God. So these words, Christ... Faith and heart must be essential to understanding something about the gospel. And so I began to delve into these words and, I, and I've come to conclude that they are so rich in meaning that most of us have never understood what it really means. So let me at least cover two of the words because I may have all, that may be all the time I have unless I want to be like Paul Anderson Walsh my friend, and beat his record. <laughs> which I'm really tempted to do. But anyhow, the word Christ is not the last name of Jesus, by the way. That's deep, right? Now, the word Christ means anointed one, and the word Christ is also a Hebrew concept. In fact, the word in Hebrew has been translated into English as Messiah. Messiah and Christ is the same word. There's no difference between the two. The one is Greek and the one is Hebrew. That one comes from a Hebrew word, but there's the same meaning, the same concept. And the concept, of course, began in the Hebrew tradition. And the Hebrew tradition, when it talked about the Christ or the Messiah, it came from uh, the Torah. It came from many different texts. They have, In fact, the Midrash Torah talks about when the Christ would come, there would be no more war, there would be no more jealousy, there would be no more conflict, there would be no more hunger, because, and everyone will be occupied with knowing God only. Sounds like pretty... Wonderful life, right? And so that's what he says. And then he says in the same thing in, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, that the people will no longer study warfare. There will be no sense of warfare in the world. And then, this, this to me is the best part, in Isaiah chapter 11, it talks about that there will be peace even in the animal kingdom. So it would be such a peace when, when the Christ would come, there would be global peace in the world, so that a, a, a child, a baby, could put his hand inside a viper's nest, and that would be okay. And then a boy would lead a, a, a lamb and a lion, I think it was, or no, maybe it was a wolf or a bear and a, and a lion. Can you imagine a boy walking hand in hand with a lion on one side and a bear on the other side? That's kind of cool, right? But that's what would happen when the Christ would come. And then the best part, it says that the lion would eat straw. Can you imagine a lion on a vegan diet? (laughs) Pretty cool, right? Uh, And so there will be such a shift in consciousness in the world when the Messiah, the Christ, would come. It will be a place of peace and rest and love, and grace it will be a new way of life and then we move into the New Testament we see that Jesus he is the Christ now he's not referred to the Christ In the beginning, he's referred to Jesus of Nazareth, the master rabbi. But after his resurrection and death, or actually his death and resurrection, uh, um, he was referred as Jesus the Christ. Now, once before that, Peter spoke about it prophetically, that you are the Son of God, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But it wasn't until after the death and resurrection that Jesus was referred to as the Christ. And then he goes on to explain in Colossians what this meaning of Christ meant. It says, in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead or God or the deity dwells in bodily form. Which is kind of fascinating. Think about that. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, and that's the definition of Christ. What does that mean? It means that God and everything that is God manifests itself in a body like yours and mine. He manifests himself in physical form. So then it leads me to this question, who is God? Well, he is that white haired guy sitting up in the sky somewhere looking down at all of us, and he's very grumpy and upset, and he's so ready to send you downstairs and keep you there and make sure you're screaming and you're burning and everything else. That's really his main goal in life, to send as many people as he can downstairs because he's really grumpy and upset. Are you with me? Is that, is that God? No, in fact, God is described by Jesus this way, that God is spirit. Now, spirit means breath, wind, and I talked about this on, on Friday. It means that, uh, you know, in fact, it is interesting what Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. So right now, if if I'm... If I'm living in God, in Him I live and move and have my being, it means that right now, wherever I turn, I am surrounded by God. God's presence is even in me. And in you. And in that person sitting on the other side of the room that you don't like. That person too. Isn't this amazing? And so, it, because God is spirit, and I went into some of the science behind this, but I won't have time to do that today, but I did this on Friday. And then we learn that God, according to 1 John chapter 4, God is love. Look at your neighbor and say, ah, this is good. God is love. Now, the word of love is agape. Everybody say Agape. Now, which speaks of unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love. So it's not like our love. And in fact, the best definition of this love is what, uh, uh, you know, what John said. He said, this is love. This is love. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So how do we know, what do, how do we learn what is the true nature of love? We look at the cross. The cross is the ultimate revelation of love. Are you with me? So God is love. So here, Christ is God manifesting himself in bodily form. So that means that this spirit man that is within us now begins to manifest himself, and that looks like selfless, unconditional love. So we see this in Jesus, right? You see this in Jesus, how he just lays down and he's not, you know, saying, well, uh, you're from such and such a group of people, you're part of this group there, I don't know if I can accept you. And no, he just lays down his life for everybody, for the whole world. That means the people that you don't like, the people that you can't stand, the people who, who just irritate you, the people who just are, are fouled up and lousy and everything out of the description, even them even think of the worst people, and he lays down his life for them. What does, that mean? what does that mean? He loves everyone unconditionally, selflessly. Pretty good. How many are with me so far? And then we continue to read about Christ, and it says in, in uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul is talking about uh, grace and living under law, and he says those people are living under grace. Now, Grace is not just an intellectual uh, comprehension of a set of facts. Because that's really meaningless. Grace is something much deeper than that. It's something that transforms your very instincts and everything, your very personality, your very sense of identity. So it says there in in Galatians, it says in chapter 2, it says that it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. You remember that? So which tells me that I is opposite of Christ. So in order for me to understand Christ, it may be good to understand what I is because I is died in order for Christ to live. And he says that I have Christ living in me, but I cannot have I at the same time. Now, there's actually two different words for I in this particular scripture passage. One is just Being. When it talks about the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God. I have my being. I have my being. But the other word for I, that I have been crucified, the I that is no longer living, the Greek word for that is ego. Everybody say ego. ego. So what is the ego? Your ego is your independent self. It is that part of you if you think of Christ is being rooted and grounded in love, ego is being rooted and grounded in fear, or shame, which comes from the Garden of Eden, right? When the aid of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the eye it gave birth to the eye. And the I basically in order for me to be loved and accepted, because all of humanity is looking to be loved and accepted, they look for unconditional love. But now when the aid of the tree of from the from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil what happened, now they no longer were aware of unconditional love. Because now love was something that you had to earn or something that you had to perform for, you had to be good to get love. So the tree of knowledge is opposite of unconditional love. God is unconditional love. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil cannot be. It's a contradiction. How I many see what I'm talking about? So, and so this was the birth of the ego. This was a birth of the I, the independent self, that now sees the world through a lens of fear. Because it says that they were naked and not ashamed before they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But after they had been looking at the tree, they, the Bible says they, 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 they cover themselves up with fig leaves, right? Husband and wife. They cover themselves up because they were ashamed. Now, shame is this feeling there is something wrong about me. In other words, it speaks to your identity. And I've discovered around the world, this is the same wherever I go, that the world has a problem. And... It is not the person necessarily sitting next to you, but the world has a problem, and that problem is that we see ourselves, we instinctively, in our unconscious mind, not necessarily consciously, but unconsciously, we see ourselves through the lens of I am not enough, through the eyes of shame. So we are propelled. We don't even know about it, but we are propelled. We, 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 are, we are afraid of meeting certain people. We, there's a sense of fear and, and, and just that overwhelms us so many times because we, we just don't feel like we are enough. And sometimes we overcompensate for that because, you know, the ego has tremendous coping mechanisms. So we just try to be aggressive and arrogant and everything else, but that's just to overcompensate because of the deep inner fear feeling that we are not enough. So in fact, some of the most... Uh, insecure people i ever met are people who are very bold and arrogant. And some of the greatest speakers that I've ever been around in ministry, when I meet with them, they are so insecure because they're always talking about themselves and they always want people to tell them how wonderful they are, what, which is what? A sign of insecurity or feeling that I'm not enough. So sometimes people go into ministry. I've seen so many times that people go into ministry because it's a way for them to summon another to qualify to be good. To feel better about themselves. To feel strong about themselves. But it's all rooted in this tree of knowledge of good and evil. In order for me to be good, I've got to be loved. And then this tree of knowledge of good and evil, this ego, which is really symbolic of this tree, this ego needs to be better than others. So we have like, we, how many know that we have instinctively this little uh, thing that we judge people where they're all in location to ourselves? So we feel like, oh, I'm a little bit better than those people. They go to the Baptist church. They're not as good as me. But then there are some people who are way up there, like Mike, Pastor Mike, the super Christian. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Or we have some other, maybe, I, who are your spiritual heroes? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Steve McVeigh. All those people, those are the people. If I can, so, so we kind of want to be close to them. We want to get up there because we are not even aware about the ego in sub, in our subconscious, seeks to get closer to what we think is good because we feel like there we be loved and accepted. It's so deceptive, this egoic mind. We're not aware of it. And, uh, and so when we just preach the law to the mind, we never get it But when we understand this is, this is so much deeper than that. So, we, we, so, so here's what happened as well. So someone is way up there, and now they fail. What happens then? They fall behind us, and now, now we don't want to look at them anymore. Oh, we don't want nothing to do with those people. Because we feel a sense of justified, I have never done what they have done, and we feel better about ourselves instinctively, we feel better about ourselves, we feel like we're closer to being good, so that we can be loved and accepted. And how many see this is contrary to unconditional love? And it's... It cripples people, it cripples relationships, and it keeps us in bondage. And so even though we may spit out all the grace verses in the Bible and we know them off by heart and we know them and we shout them and we know how to say amen to them, we still, subconsciously, we're driven by this ego that seeks to be good, to be validated and justified and right and feeling good about itself, but it's birthed in shame. We are seeing the world through the eyes our uh, subconscious is seeing the world through the eyes of fear and insecurity and shame so how many want to live in a better life called Christ I'm talking about Christ, the difference in Christ and I so then we move on and we come to this scripture where it says uh, in uh, Colossians chapter 3 that here Paul is saying there is no male or female wow There is no Jew or Greek. There is no uh, barbarian or Now, by the way, those were the worst people. How many know, like, the worst people? Think about the worst people in the world. Who are they? Not the Americans, right? (laughs) But who are the worst people in the world? And you think, those people. And so Paul is making a strong point. If you can think of the worst people in the world, it says, Here there is no barbarians and scythians, but Christ is all and in all. Now, let me go back here. Actually, I missed the scripture. I forgot one scripture. I've got to tell you this first. Because, I, I, let, me, let me stay there. I, I, I'm going to try to rearrange everything. Let me just rearrange everything. Are you still with me? <laughs> We're still traveling together here on a journey. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So we, we see here that uh, Paul is basically saying that Christ is all in and in all, and he's saying, you're going to see this, but we have to understand the whole context of how he came to this point. So it actually starts in Colossians chapter 1, where he says that uh, through him all things were made. All things consist. And all things have their being in him. How many with with me so far? Right? And then it says, but you have been alienated in your minds. What does that I mean? You've been separated. Your minds have been separated from being conscious of God or Christ, which is this union of the physical union or the, when God begins to fill, or when God is in us. It says, now, your mind has been blinded to this truth. You're not able to see that Christ is within you. And then it goes on to say, and this is Whole so radical for most people. It says, later on it says that, this mystery has been hidden from generation and ages. Now how many know that this was written just after Jesus, right? So if it's been hidden from generation and ages, it means it was long before Jesus. Are you with me? So there was a mystery that has been hidden long before Jesus appeared on the scene. This mystery has been hidden, but now it's been revealed to the saints. Now it was revealed through Jesus. What was this mystery that had was now revealed through through Jesus? That Christ is in you. The hope of glory. In other words, the implication is that here that Christ has always been there, but our minds have been blinded to it. Now through Jesus we see it. But that in other words, that God, remember Christ, Christ is God. The full, all of God, the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. So it's always been there. God's very essence has always been in us but we have not been aware of it. So then we now come to chapter 3 and Paul is praying and he's saying set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above in the heavenly places. And now once you do that you will put off the old man or the eagle man or the carnal mind And now you begin to see the world differently. Here there is no barbarianess given, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, once you have this awakening, once you begin to see... Christ in you. When you're aware, become aware of Christ in you. When you become aware of God, who is love, unconditional love. When you become aware of it in your own life, your view of the world will change. And this was part of the definition of Christ. So I had this experience uh, a few months ago. Actually, I was at the mall. I was shopping. I was getting that when I wasn't shopping. I was getting dinner for the family. I was. Getting, how, how many have heard of Chipotle? Do you have Chipotle? Mexican food. Oh, it's so good. It just makes me hungry just thinking about it. And so um, I'm getting this food and I'm standing there lined up and I'm I'm just going through all of this, you know, that we were made in the image and likeness of God, right? Like that's just, that's just unbelievable. We were made in the likeness of God. And then it says in Genesis chapter 2 that God took the atoms and the cells and he made This, you know, it didn't say atoms and cells, but I'm just using my own translation there. And, and, And he put us together and he formed this body. And then he says he breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And the word breath here is the same word as spirit. Remember, God is spirit. He breathed his very essence, his spirit, which is unconditional love, right? He breathed into us his very essence. And we became a living being. So I've been thinking about that. I'm thinking, wow, this is so good. From the beginning, he breathed his very life. In other words, he wanted to manifest himself in and through us. Unconditional love to be manifested in and through us. Christ to be manifested in and through us. And so I'm in the mall. Remember, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't don't travel too far. So I'm in the mall, and suddenly I feel like I'm caught up in the spirit and I see everything, almost like through a cloud, and I see that God's presence is everywhere. Like, it's like God is absolutely everywhere, in and through everybody. And then I see people running around, they're busy, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and, 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 and they're not aware. Their minds have been blinded, they're not aware to God's unconditional love. They're in a different world. And then I'm walking out and I'm seeing this lady, she's sitting about there and as I'm coming close to her, she's an elderly lady, a Mexican lady, and I look at her and in her face is like, you know, you just look at her, she's in a different world. She's trapped in her mind. She's trapped in her thoughts. She's trapped in her fears. She's trapped in the illusion of the mind. And I realize that's the problem of the world. The world is not aware of God. It's not aware of Christ, that He is in all of us. They're not aware of unconditional love. We were created in the image and likeness of God. God is love. God's intention was for His, our human body, to literally be filled with His love, and that would cause a new consciousness in this world that we read about in Isaiah chapter 11 and so on, where even the animal kingdom will be affected. How many see what I'm talking about? So Jesus came to reveal this new kind of life. He came to show us a whole new way of life. What is love? A whole new path, a whole new way, and it's so excited, And I'm just so enthused about your how thrilled you are about it. (laughs) Are you with me? Amen. So Christ, that's Christ. Christ expressing himself in and through you and through you and through you. Unconditional love. Think, I am unconditional love. God's very essence is in me. And then we come to this word heart. Everybody say heart. I got to go fast for this heart. I Put on your seatbelts. Are you ready? The word heart, have you ever noticed, is usually associated with emotion. Feelings, right? Love is in your heart. Do, 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 do. You know, it's 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 to do with love, of course. It's to do with emotions, your feelings, and then. But if we get a little more scriptural, if we get into more of the Bible, it actually says in Proverbs chapter twenty-three: "As as he thinks in his heart, so is he." Now, it actually says that the thoughts of your heart is who you are. Now. I want to point out here that the heart, the thoughts of your heart and the thoughts of your intellect are not necessarily the same thing because not every thought that I have in my intellect is who I am. I've been flying, sometimes in the cockpit, together with a pilot, by myself. And uh, I have never flown, don't know anything about flying. I've held the thing up in the air somewhere, but that just freaked me out. But um, especially if you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) But once in a while, when I'm up, I've had these crazy thoughts, like really morbid, horrible thoughts. Would you please forgive me just for having these thoughts? But I'm thinking, what would happen if this guy beside me is having a heart attack? I mean, what a terrible thought to have, right? What would happen then? And then I, I think to myself, then, then my imagination kicks in. I'm so sort of thinking, well, then I have to land this plane, and there will be like, I have to raid you in, and, and then news media will come, and they will all... <laughs> They want to see, how this, is this guy going to be able to land? And I will be guided through the headphones, how I'm supposed to operate this thing, and I'll be able to land, and it will be hard, but I'll make the landing. Just because I have that kind of crazy, ridiculous thought, it doesn't make me a pilot, right? <laughs> so not every thought actually defines you. It's not part of your identity. So what is he talking about? As a man thinks in his heart, he's talking about the subconscious thoughts, which are either rooted in the I or in Christ, which is unconditional love. It's either rooted in in the insecurity and the fear, or it's rooted in, which is the ego, or it's rooted in Christ, which is seeing everything. That all of us, Christ is all and in all. It's seeing a whole new world, a whole new way of Perceiving the world and perceiving ourselves. So, a, so as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he's talking about your subconscious. And then this is so good. I hold on to you. See it over there. You got to get this. He, he's that camera there. He's. I see pastors look a little, looking at the camera. Let, let me stay on focus. Are you staying with me? It says in Jeremiah chapter thirty-three. It says the heart is more. Deceitful than all else and desperately wicked who can understand it in other words who can understand I mean he's not talking about your wife right now because none of us can understand our wives how, how many are with me <laughs> he's talking about he's talking about your subconscious your own inner person we don't even know what's going on inside of us right who can understand it and he says the heart it's more deceitful than all else. And there are two words here. For all those words in English, there are only two words. The one word is heart, and the other word is this Hebrew word. And I don't remember what it is, but it is, trust me, it's a Hebrew word. And that originally, in the original text, that Hebrew word consists of two thoughts. It means foot tracking. Or it has this connotation that someone has walked on your heart. Now, Remember what your heart is. Your heart is your sense of identity, who you believe yourself to be inside. It is who you think you are inside. Right? Because who you think you are will determine how you live your life. So it's speaking about your sense of identity. So here it says your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked or sick or feeble or weak. Why? because someone has walked on it. Someone has defined your sense of identity. Someone has shaped you into believing you are something. So how many know we all have a childhood? We all went through some stuff. People told us, well, you are good at this and you're not good at that. We all have been shaped and formed by experiences in life. For example, I was telling people on Friday when I was young, someone belittled my ability to read, and my grades after that began to deteriorate in school. And so when I grew up, of course, I didn't, well, didn't remember this. I wasn't remembering this until many years later. I, you know, I had this feeling that. I could not be a teacher. I had to be like an evangelist and travel around the world. So when I became, you know, finished Bible college and I was ready to preach the gospel to the world, I just got a preacher's voice and I would stand up and preach and preach down heaven. and. And, and fire and everything else, and I and go travel around the world. I just had to make up for my inability to teach because I wasn't smart enough by being really loud and crazy and jumping on chairs and everything else. Uh, at least there was a lot of action that would keep people awake. <laughs> but what, what was it rooted? Why did I not teach? And I think, by the way, I'm an excellent teacher today. Can somebody say amen? Little bit of ego right there, come on. Ah uh, Why was that? Because in my heart, my sense of identity, at that fleeting moment when a teacher belittled my ability to read, there was impregnated in my unconscious mind a feeling I'm not enough. I can't do something. So many of us have all these things, we've been shaped by our parents, we've been shaped by teachers, and we've been shaped by even church. Yeah, religion has has taught us a certain thing, has shaped our sense of self, and we're not even aware of it. But it's a fear, it's a shame. It's rooted in the egoic mind. And you know what happens? It says in Proverbs chapter 4, that it says there that keep your heart with all diligence for everything you do flows out of it. Everything you do flows out of your heart. Science is confirming that 97 to 99% of everything you do flows out of your subconscious, not out of the ideas you have in your mind. So if there is a conflict between what you want in your mind and in your subconscious, your subconscious will always win out. In fact, uh, you know your, your conscious mind is only able to process 2,000 bits of information per second, which seems like a lot but your unconscious mind is able to process four billion bits of information per second. So we are controlled by our unconscious thoughts. We are un- controlled by the unconscious mind. We're not even aware of it. So we have all these egoic tendencies and we don't even know it. So the whole point of what Paul is talking about here is that there is a, something, there is a greater life for us, and it's not just here. It is not just going to church and saying, yes, I go to the front, I buy the insurance policies so I can get to heaven. Most of our gospel is just an insurance policy that we sell. If you believe like this, just accept this and sign your name, and you're going to make it to heaven. But there is no transformation. Have you seen there are some real devils in church? Amen. Not in this church. I'm talking about all the other churches, you know. Right? But there are some real devils in church, right? Sometimes there are real devils on the pulpit too. But not here. I know that. I'm just saying. Some places. Why? Because... The egoic mind is controlling the person, not intellectually, they may have it together here, but here. They are controlled by this ego, this operating system that is based on good and evil. They have to be successful, they have to achieve, because that is how they establish their sense of worth and value, and it's deeply rooted in insecurity and fear, and it destroys a person. It causes sickness and disease. It it destroys every aspect of your life. And eventually people self-destruct. So Paul is saying there is a greater life. There is a greater life. And this life is based on unconditional love. That Christ may dwell in your heart. Hearts that your sense of identity will no longer be rooted the lens by which you see the world will no longer be rooted in shame or fear but it will be rooted in unconditional love and when that happens your view of others will change and you begin to see Christ in them as well because you have the security they're no longer your competition they're no longer people that you have to put down in order to lift yourself up because you've got a new way of life. And that changes your life. It changes your relationships. It changes your health. It changes your your finances. Because, I mean, if you're in sales, how many like some dirty, rotten sales guy? No, we want to be around people who are filled with love, unconditional love. There's an attraction about unconditional love. So when when Paul is praying, he's saying, I want you to be transformed, because it's going to change every aspect of your life. So how do we awaken to this kind of life? Psalm 4 verse 4 says, meditate within your heart and be still on your bed, which tells me something very important. In fact, the word meditate can also mean commune. Meditate, meditating is a way to commune with your heart or your sense of identity. Remember the story I told you from the beginning? When, you know, this voice inside told me meditate on the love of Christ, what happened? I began to communicate or commune, which is an even better word, I began to commune to be in relationship with my inner person. The spirit that is that I have my being in God, my being is in Him, who is love, who is unconditional love. I have my being in Him. So when I begin to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, which is in reference to Jesus, right? When I begin to behold as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, which is Christ Jesus, then I'm being transformed into the same image. In other words, now my instincts and my outward behavior the way i now live and operate is no longer based on this neediness that comes from the ego that needs to be validated and approved it comes from an inner desire to love so for me to come a speaker today is not somehow or another to just talk about my ministry and portray how wonderful i am no it is because I'm propelled to see you experience the freedom that comes from love. And everything we do, and everyone we touch, whether it's here, whether speaking to one person, or speaking to a lot of people, or just sitting around at home, or being in the workplace, wherever we are, we are a, uh, an expression of God, who is love. And we do that by meditating. So when I'm fixing to close, When I began in 2006 when I had this revelation about meditating on the love of Christ to change my sense of identity, I wish my life would have just been perfect ever after that. But it wasn't. It took me several years to begin to understand this truth. But eventually I started meditating. I started meditating every day on the love of Christ. I began my days in meditating on the love of Christ. And I noticed suddenly my, my health began to improve. My blood pressure, every aspect of my health started changing. Relationships improved. Every part of me, it seems like things just started coming together, falling in place automatically and effortlessly. Not because I had it here, not because I knew how to preach the right doctrine, but because it became part of my sense of identity. I was connecting with my spirit, my spirit that is unconditional love and allowing that now to transform me so that I, that I have the mind of Christ, waking into a whole new kind of mind. Now, I know that this is not just, you know, you I got it, I'm alive. No, no, it's a continual journey of every day becoming more and more aware of my true identity, which is unconditional love. So when I go into a meeting, I meditate. I meditate on the love of Christ because I know that in order for me to speak to somebody, Well, there's one person. I want to be filled with God's unconditional love. Because that's how we were meant to live from the very beginning. And when that happens, the whole world will eventually shift. So when Jesus came... He showed us the way. When God's son came, he showed us a whole new way of life that is based on unconditional love. So I started, and I was sharing this with the people the other day, I started sharing, I thought, I'm going to put this together. I'm going to help people. i want to help people to wake into this whole new kind of life. And so I put together this program in 2012 called Amazing Life, 40 Day Journey of Transformation. Now, there's a reason I put together 40 Day Journey of Transformation, because I've discovered this about people that uh, first of all, it, you know, it's like brushing teeth, right? You gotta do it until it becomes automatic. It comes, becomes a habit, right? When something is a habit, you'll do it every day without thinking. I was sharing with Pastor earlier that your mind only has willpower to make one change at a time. So if you wanna go on a diet and lose weight or whatever, don't try to exercise start exercising and die at the same time because you won't have the ability to do it. You only have willpower to do one thing at a time. But if you do it long enough, eventually it becomes a habit. So if you eat good for long enough, if you eat the right food for long enough, it becomes a habit. And the same is true when meditating on the love of Christ, I knew that if I just say, uh you know, if you just do this one day everything is going to change. No. Brushing your teeth once in your life is not going to help your teeth. Are you with me? <laughs> but once it becomes a habit and you do it every day, it now has a profound effect on your life. It is, how I many know, the brushing your teeth is not just good for your breath and for your neighbor. <laughs> it's good for you, for your health, right? And so meditation is the same way. We meditate on the love of Christ. So I said, I'm going to help people. What's the best way I can help people? I can issue them a 40-day challenge. And I'm going to help them through this process for 40 days of beginning to meditate on the love of Christ. So So this is the idea I came up with in 2012. So there are 40 days of teachings here that I have helping people understand this intellectually. And then there are six weeks of meditation. In fact, there are more that we added later on. There are meditations that people meditate every day. And then they write down their thoughts in this little booklet as well. They're journaling the thoughts that they're going through. So we put that together.